Thank you, Jesus. You're awesome. Did I ever tell you guys a story about Max and Justine? You sure? Okay, I want to tell you the story about Max and Justine. I knew I hadn't, but I just don't. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm sure you are. No, no. Whoever, no, Jimmy's gone, guys. He was week number one only. Um, Max and Justine are boyfriend and girlfriend. Okay? So we got girl for yellow. I mean, yellow for girl. <laughs> That's Justine. Yep. And we'll go blue for boy. Boys are usually a little bit taller. Oh, it's about the same height. <laughs> and they are boyfriend and girlfriend. And they're happy. She's got a blue face. Um, okay. They're a happy couple. They like each other. But one day, Max says something that upsets Justine. Hey guys, welcome. Um, Max says something that upsets Justine. Uh, doesn't make much sense. You get it? Frown? <laughs> um, Max says, some, says something that upsets Justine. And what Justine does is she gets mad and she storms out of the room. She's gone. Um, and she decides to not talk to Max for an entire day. Um, Max tries to follow her and talk to her about this stuff, but Justine doesn't even want to borrow it. Doesn't even want to borrow it. Doesn't want to hear what Max has to say. She's upset. Um, then Justine accidentally, as she's leaving, whatever, she goes to Max's room and sees a computer. <laughs> That's my computer screen. Um, Thanks, Jesus. And Justine accidentally sees that on Max's computer that he's got an article called How to Be a Better Boyfriend. And so she starts scrolling through it and her heart starts to melt because she realizes this article is full of terrible, terrible, terrible advice from people who have never had a girlfriend. And her heart starts to soften and she's going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, he believed this. This is such bad advice. But he obviously is just trying to be a good boyfriend. He's just trying to love me. And he made a mistake by saying what he said and her heart just melts. And then she runs out of the room and she runs back to Max, back to Max. And she apologizes for being mad. And Max is happy again. Um, that's the end of the story about Max and Justine. Like that one? Okay. It's a true story, it happened to me. No, not really, but it could have. Um, okay, what happened in this story is the changing, let's draw this as well, the changing of someone's heart, right? Justine has a heart, and when Max upset Justine, her heart went hard. I don't know, it makes it look hard, but you get, you get the picture. Um, her heart went hard, right? She didn't want to hear anything that Max had to say to explain himself, right? Max could have said, I read the article. And as we know from hearing the story, 
that actually would have worked, right? But because Justine's heart was hard, she was blocked off to that. Does that make sense? She was mad and she wanted to be mad. Her heart was hard and she wanted it that way, right? Until she left, got all that happened here is that she got a bit of extra information. Information that existed at the time that Max upset her, but she didn't know about it. And the second that she learns about this information, oh, he just read this article, whoops, silly Max, right? She chooses to, uh, I don't know how I'm gonna do this, soften, soften, <laughs> soften her heart. Does that make sense? She chose to harden her heart, and then she chose to soften her heart. You guys following? Jesus is king. Um, yeah. So there's nothing that Max could have said to make Justine do that. Does that make sense? Because Justine didn't want to hear it. But when Justine was by herself and there's no pressure on her and whatever, then she started to read it. And as she's reading, her heart's melting, right? Um, this simple little story illustrates a spiritual law. Um, only the soft-hearted can access the kingdom of God. That makes sense? Only the soft-hearted, only Justine in her second state can access the kingdom of God because hard-heartedness and pride keeps you from it. Does that make sense? It keeps you from the kingdom of God. The very nature of the kingdom of God, the very nature of God is opposed to you if you are hard-hearted and proud. Does that make sense? Um, Jesus. Yeah, cool, cool, cool. So, we've been talking about trials, yeah? We've done two weeks of trials. First week of trials, it is okay to not be okay. Don't be surprised when trials come. They're gonna come, they're gonna hurt, and it's, it's okay. Um, week number two, last week, keep yourself in the vine. You, you will be so tempted in a trial to remove yourself from the vine. Jesus is the vine. Keep yourself in the vine. If you do not keep yourself connected to the vine, you cannot produce fruit and everyone wants good fruit. But Jesus does it naturally through you when you keep yourself connected to Him. This week, very similar to last week, but also unique. Um, the big idea for this week, I want you guys to choose to keep your heart soft if you're in a trial. And encourage other people that are in trials to keep their heart soft. To learn and to practice humility. Because you cannot grow in the kingdom of God, you cannot grow spiritually, you cannot grow closer to God without humility and without a soft heart. Does that make sense? Yes? Good. <laughs> um, here's what the Bible says. You guys want to know what the Bible says? Yeah. It's a good book. Um, James 4, 6, <coughs> quoting Proverbs 3, 34. God opposes the proud. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So if you're proud, God is against you, right? His very nature is opposite to you because he's just not like that. He opposes you. And if you're humble, then you get his favor. Interesting, hey? It's funny how it doesn't say God opposes the non-Christian and gives grace to the Christian. 
God opposes those who don't give at church and gives grace to those who do give at church. No, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. The New Testament actually quotes that proverb twice. This is doubly important. Um, Jesus. So it is not possible to grow spiritually at any point in your life without humility and a soft heart. And it is not possible to make the most of your trial. It's not possible for you to turn your pain into purpose without humility and a soft heart. You guys following? Um, if you are in a trial, if you are in a really hard season of life, the trial might end, the hard season might end, but you will not have survived as best as you could because of your hard heart. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> Benjamin. Um, <laughs> it's all good. Um, let me say that again because we're all distracted by Ben's nose blowing. Um, <laughs> um, if you have a hard heart, if you have a hard heart in a trial, if you're bitter, you're frustrated, you're just purely angry in a hard season of life, you will not, even if the hard season ends, you will not have survived it as best you could because of your hard heart. You might actually not survive it in a spiritual sense. You might lose your relationship with God. A hard heart can do that. And we'll talk more about that later. Um, yeah. So if you are humble, another word the Bible uses is gentle. If you are gentle in your heart, if you have a gentle heart, God is drawn to you. He is drawn to you. Jesus says, the meek, which is the humble, the meek, <laughs> will inherit the earth. <laughs> Anyone here going to inherit the earth? The whole earth. That's what Jesus said. <laughs> Who gets the earth? Jesus? Yeah, the, the humble. The humble get the earth. <laughs> He's so crazy. Do you ever think about those verses? The humble get the whole earth. Oh, freak me. So cool. Um, so if you want to grow spiritually, whether, whether you're in a hard time or not, but specifically tonight about talking about hard times, then you must learn and practice humility. You must learn and practice humility. If you, want personal, uh, if you want personal heart healing during your trial, then you must learn and practice humility. It draws the nature of God to you. You don't accuse God of X, Y, Z. You, t you bring Him your issues and say, Teach me. I know you're good. Teach me. That's what a humble heart does. A proud heart, a hard heart, points the finger. Feels like it knows everything and judges God for it. Everyone's tempted to do that when they're in a trial. So, you must be teachable, not arrogant, not self-absorbed, not thinking you're better than anyone else, always slow to speak, always slow to draw strong conclusions, happy to be proven wrong, that's a good one, not easily offended, these are the signs of a soft heart and it's the only way to grow in the kingdom. These are, a sign, these are signs of a soft heart. It doesn't prove it, but it's a sign pointing towards it. And that's the only way to grow in the kingdom. So I reckon when Jesus picked his disciples, he was looking for more of this quality. Rather than their ability to put a sermon together, rather than their ability to have great, amazing faith even. The centurion had greater faith than the disciples. Did he pick the centurion to join his gang? No. He picks the fisherman. Can you read those qualities once more? Yeah, 100%. You must be teachable, not arrogant, not self-absorbed, 
not thinking you're better than anyone else, always slow to speak, always slow to draw, uh, draw strong conclusions, happy to be proven wrong, and not easily offended. Those are the signs that you have a humble, gentle heart. So this doesn't even necessarily have that much to do with what religion you claim to follow or whether you're a Christian or not. You can be not a Christian and have these qualities because you, you have the choice and the ability to make whether or not you're going to harden your heart, right? You can harden your heart if you want. You can also soften it. That's why the Bible can say things like humble yourself before God. It cannot ask you to do something that you cannot do, right? He's only going to give you, he's only going to ask you to do things you can actually do. So you can humble yourself. You know what I'm saying? Jesus. Okay. Now we're going to talk a little bit about pride. Hard-heartedness and pride, those are, those are the two things that the Bible talks about. They basically mean the same thing. To be hard-hearted and to be proud. Essentially means the same thing. Bible will use both terms. Um, so hard-heartedness and pride is the enemy here. It's an enemy that comes from within. It's not something that's external. It's not the enemy trying to do this thing to you. It's you yourself choosing to be hard-hearted. He, he might be tempting you into doing that, but you still make the decision. Does that make sense? Um, but you can always, 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 always have a response to it if you so choose. Just like the story, I'll keep pointing back to that. She could have at any point softened her heart. She could have at any point started to focus her mind on, you know what, Max's character is actually really good. He probably is trying to do his best. Could she have done that? Yes, at any point. But she wanted to be hard-hearted. She wanted to be mad. It felt somehow satisfying to be mad. Do you guys know what I'm saying by that? Yeah. You don't want to be mad, but you do. <laughs> it's the flesh, um, just so you know. Um, <laughs> um, so we need, to be, we need to be aware of what hard-heartedness can look like in our life so we can like, spot a red flag and go, cool, I think I'm being hard-hearted here, or that person's being hard-hearted here. Because it's very easy to miss, and it's very easy to justify when you are hard-hearted. It's the easiest thing in the world. You'll find a million different reasons why you being hard-hearted right now is okay. <laughs> Justine could have given you 1,000 reasons why what Max said was wrong. Would I have justified it? No, but in her mind, yes. So that's why she was hard-hearted. Make sense? Romans 2.5 But because of your hard and impenitent heart, heart, sorry, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So a hard heart not only keeps you from the kingdom of God, but it's, it can potentially store up wrath. Now this is talking to people who are not in the kingdom of God. This is talking to religious people in Romans, uh, Romans 2. People who are arrogant, self-righteous, feeling okay about themselves because of X, Y, Z and what they've done, what they've achieved with their life. That is what makes them feel okay. And that's hard-heartedness. Well, that's part of it anyway. Um, you could be storing up wrath for yourself if you're hard-hearted. That's a serious Bible verse. <laughs> I don't want to be storing up wrath for myself. That's terrifying. Um, Jesus, help me. Um, yeah. You, you could, just by the state of your heart, be stopping God from doing the good work He wants to do in you by making you clean and washed. You could be doing that without even realizing that you're doing that. Um, so God never forces Himself on anyone. He will never force Himself on you. 
if you have a hard heart, you're effectively sending out a signal to him that you're just not really interested in having him in your life. Does that make sense? If you have a hard heart, you're essentially sending out a signal to him, I'm just not interested in having you in my life. He could be trying to speak to that person for years, but because of their hard heart, they can't hear it. They might be able to hear the words, but they can't hear the words. Does that make sense? Jesus goes, let him who has ears, let him hear. But Jesus, everyone that has ears can hear, right? He goes, no, they can't hear. They can't. They can hear, but they can't hear. <laughs> There's a difference between hearing and hearing. <laughs> Jesus King. Um, yeah, cool. And also, let's not think that just by being a follower of Jesus, that you are immune to hard-heartedness. So in the New Testament, it, you're often warned to not let your heart get hard. Um, the New Testament is written, written mostly to churches, people who are saved. Um, yeah. So Hebrews 3.13, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Don't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, Christians. Don't do that. It, it will deceive you and you won't know you're deceived because that's what deception does. And it will make you harden towards it. So you'll start to defend yourself and you'll, you'll start ignoring God's voice. Do you guys ever notice if you ever get caught in like a, a pattern of sin, the first time is the most convicting thing in the world. But the second time ain't that bad. <laughs> Third time, even easier. Fourth time, conviction's probably gone. Because the, the, the deceitfulness of sin has come in. It has deceived you and you start to harden your heart and then justify yourself, justify your actions based on your hardness of heart. Does that make sense? Don't do that. Um, <laughs> Hebrews 3, 8, same chapter. Actually, so the first one was from Hebrews 13, I think, or 12. Um, Hebrews 3, 8. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. So when the Israelites were in, in the day of testing, walking through the, the desert for 40 years, a journey that could have taken 11 days, the Bible says. Yeah, you could have done it in two weeks. How long did it take? 40 years. Why? Hardness of heart. God waiting for those who had hard hearts to die. That's what he wrote. He, he couldn't give it to a people that had, had hard hearts. He couldn't give him himself. They didn't believe his word. He goes, I've already given you the, king, the kingdom. I've already given you the land of Canaan. This is a physical representation of the spiritual kingdom of God, right? I've given you that land. It's already yours. I've written it. It's decreed. But now you've got to go walk into it and claim it. And they go, we can't beat the giants that live there. God goes, oh, uh, okay, well, you've got to stay in the desert then until you die. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? That was from hard-heartedness. They were scared. They, were, they didn't believe his word. And then Paul writes, don't harden your hearts like that to Christians. Don't do that. <laughs> um, a heart that truly fears God in a healthy sense is one that is rooted in humility. So this is Proverbs 28, 14. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. I'll say it again. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, that's humility, fearing the Lord, gentleness of the heart. But whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. So Proverbs is interesting because Proverbs is uh, written by Solomon. And a lot of it's like 
uh, you guys know what a proverb is, right? A proverb is not necessarily a truth. So if I, if I say, um, what's a good example? Look before you leap, right? That's a proverb, right? So before you leap over that fence, how about we go check what's behind it, right? Now it works in most situ situations. You should check what you're doing before you do it, right? But sometimes you shouldn't because there's another proverb that says, he who hesitates is lost. So which one do you do? <laughs> they, they actually contradict. So it's situational, is what I'm saying. So they're not, they're not straight up truths. Like when Jesus speaks, it's straight up, it's a truth. But when it's a proverb, it's like, mostly things will go this way. So what Solomon is saying is, whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. It means he's watched life. He's watched people. He's watched their actions. He's watched their motives. And he goes, I've noticed that those people that harden their hearts, they always seem to fall into calamity. And he wrote it down. He just watched the pattern of it. They hardened their hearts and they fell. Yeah, anyway, you guys get the point. Yeah, okay. The kingdom of God is set up to oppose the proud and, and the hard-hearted. Now that might sound like a bit of a woo-woo, crazy, strange thing. Kingdom of God is set up to whatever. But humans do this too. Like, do you guys notice when you meet someone who's just like instantly comes across as arrogant, you immediately repel yourself from it? Mm -hmm. You go, I don't want, no, that person, no, sorry. That's hard-heartedness. You can feel it. It's not pleasant. <laughs> or when you are speaking with someone who's normally quite, quite gentle, pretty good socially, they know how to be polite, whatever, and then a topic comes up and they're instantly so strong in that opinion about that controversial political issue, and you go, oh, I don't want to talk to you about that anymore because you are hard-hearted. Whereas other people can have the same opinion with a gentle heart and it's a breeze to talk to them. Both people can benefit so much from it. It's because that, that is inside of you. That's God's heart going, I actually am opposed to those people. I cannot relate to them. Pharisees, very hard-hearted people. In, in, in a sense, they probably started by wanting to love God but they get caught in the deceitfulness of sin, in arrogance, in that I'm doing the law so I deserve da 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 da. That's a lie. And it, it over time hardened their heart. So when the Son of God literally appears in front of you and is literally speaking to you, you find reasons to put him on a cross. See what hard heartedness can do over time? Your heart is so hard and calloused. You cannot even receive a single thing Jesus is saying and all you do is look for rebuttals and all you do is look for reasons why what he's saying is wrong. And then because he angers you so much because he's succeeding and you're feeling like you're not succeeding or whatever, he's taken away your power that you got. You want to murder him. But I thought you loved God. No, deceitfulness of sin, hardening the heart over time. Anyway, you guys get the point. Um, yeah... Okay, I guess you guys get it. Hard-heartedness is bad, yeah? <laughs> um, but what's interesting is that sometimes we can trick ourselves into thinking we are right or that we're not in deception. So I think it's a good idea that we list out some examples of what hard-heartedness might look like in people's lives um, so that you can just say, ah, okay, when I did that, yeah, it's hard-hearted, yeah, cool. God opposed, yeah, cool. So here's my list. Got eight things. You know you're being hard-hearted when you find yourself making arguments in your head with someone that you don't agree with when you're just by yourself. 
<laughs> you guys ever do that? Yeah. They're not even there. They're not even supposed to be thinking about them. And then all of a sudden, they just pop into your head and you go, well, but they're, they're wrong because of this. And, just, <laughs> and all the, it's, that is, honestly, I think that's a temptation from the enemy, trying to get you to believe that your enemy is not him, but it is actually flesh and blood. Because the Bible says it's not flesh and blood. And Satan's going, no, it's flesh and blood. It's that person. That's your enemy. And you start building arguments against them. All of a sudden, next time you see them, you don't want to talk to them. You don't want to open up about that issue because you were building arguments in your head ab- about them. It's, it's a sign you might, might be being hard-hearted towards someone. Um, number two, you know you're being hard-hearted when you, refu- you refuse to listen to someone else's point of view because you're so convinced you're right. And, and even when you listen to their point of view, all you do is find yourself only thinking of ways to rebut what they're saying instead of properly listening to understand. That's hard-hearted. I don't care if you are right. If you do it that way, you're wrong. <laughs> you guys know what I'm saying? You should, even if someone is trying to make an argument for you that World War Three is a great idea, <laughs> which no one in this room would agree with, but even if... <laughs> you're wrong! <laughs> if Ben was saying that, you should listen to him and try and understand where he's coming from and understand his heart. Don't just go, but bro, war and Hitler and all this stuff and this amount of people... No, don't. You can be strong in what you believe, but you should be gentle in your heart. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, Number three, you know you're being hard-hearted when you catch yourself thinking high and mighty thoughts about yourself in comparison to other people. Um, Man, other people are so stupid. They don't even realize... I've had that thought one million times in my head. You always think you're on the inside of the knowledge. Oh, I get it, but they don't get it. 99% of the people of the world don't get this, but I get the secret. You're just comparing yourself and you feel proud about yourself because you're you're on the inside. That's (laughs) hard-hearted. Or, I can't believe those religious people think that stuff or believe this stuff. How deceived are they? You're hard-hearted. You're actually just like them. (laughs) <laughs> Did Jesus say that stuff? Can't believe those Pharisees, bloody hell, they believe these things. Oh, it's just ridiculous. No, he didn't. Um, okay, or you say stuff like, um, most people, <laughs> you, ca- you catch yourself thinking, most people don't know the secrets to success in life like I do. <laughs> Look at how many parts of my life are on point right now. I got this sorted, I got this sorted, I got this sorted. Hard-hearted, guys. That's hard-hearted. Don't be hard-hearted. <laughs> okay. You know, being hard-hearted when, number four, you see no reason in going to church to hear, quote, another sermon about God that you probably heard before. You're only interested in new messages and new information. That's hard-hearted. <laughs> you should just always want to hear the Word. You should always. Don't get, don't get caught in a high on hearing new revelation and new information. Enjoy hearing the same message over again because it can be fresh to you. If you keep yourself with a gentle heart, the gospel, the same gospel you've heard a million times over again, can be so fresh to you every time you hear it. It's beautiful. Um, Number five, you know you're being hard-hearted when you find yourself still fuming over something that happened months or even years ago. Your heart is twisted and bitter and you you don't yet have the freedom that comes from forgiveness. So this can be a bit of a tricky one because sometimes people go through very, very, very hard things in life. Stuff that I could not even imagine what they've gone through. Um, but even if you go through something hard, 
and you want to harden your heart, that makes logical sense. I can understand it. People would always be drawn to doing that. Um, you might be able to justify it by saying this, this and this happened to me, therefore I'm just bitter, I'm hurt, I'm angry, I'm whatever. Um, you, you could still hurt yourself by doing that. Even if you feel like in a worldly sense you can justify your hard heart because of the atrocious things that have happened to you, don't do that because it will actually hurt yourself too. So you need to ask God, especially if it's a really, really, really big thing, like someone, like a parent abused you or something like that, something really heavy and hectic. Um, you need to ask God to take you on a path to explain how you can forgive someone. Does that make sense? It's, it's a very difficult path to walk, but there's so much freedom in it and you won't experience the fullness of the freedom if you allow yourself to remain hard-hearted towards that person. Does that make sense? So it's easier for us, to, who, those of us who haven't gone through something hectic to go, oh yeah, I should just do that. But the, I know that people have gone through heavy, hectic things. It's very difficult sometimes to actually, because you, you, can, you can hear, oh, you need to forgive. Don't, don't get bitter. Don't get whatever. You need to forgive that person. But um, if you don't want to forgive, you don't know how to forgive, like actually forgive from your heart, then you need to go on a bit of a journey, I think. Does that make sense? To go on a journey, say, God, I don't know how to forgive this person. By my heart, I don't want it to be hard either. So can you teach me how, Jesus, how do you forgive pedophiles? Like, teach me how you do that. Because that doesn't seem right to me. Does that make sense? Teach me that kind of love. Yeah. Um, that's a ridiculous kind of love. Um, number six, you know you're being hard-hearted when you ignore certain people or only open up yourself a fraction because you don't get, uh, you don't, I, I wrote this wrong, sorry. <laughs> you ignore certain people or only open up yourself a fraction because you don't want to give them the idea that you're now okay with who they are or what they've done. You've judged and evaluated them that they don't deserve it, so you feel fine at being hard-hearted towards them. So this can even happen in church. You might feel like you go one way in a certain issue and someone else goes another way on a certain issue and you judge them and say, Oh, those guys, I can't believe they're going down that path. Da, 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 da. I don't believe that. God says this. I can't believe they believe this. And you judge them and you label them. And now, the, the crap thing about that is God's put revelation for you inside their heart, but now you can't get it because you've hardened your heart towards them. Does that make sense? Li li live at peace with us. This is what the Bible says. Live at peace with people. In as much as you are able, live at peace with people. Even and especially with those that you don't agree with. Even your brothers in this room, in this church, that you don't agree with, that you wouldn't do life like that. Cool. No one would do life like me because I'm me and you're not me. Do you know what I'm saying? We're going we're gonna to part ways in many, many different ways. What's that verse, mate? Live at peace with people. I don't know. I was just thinking that. I'm pretty sure Paul... Anyone know it? Hebrews. Like Hebrews? Sick. Come on, bro. Yeah, talking about that. That's epic. Well done. <laughs> Yeah. Um, cool. Okay, so number seven. You know you're being hard-hearted when you never thank God for the things in your life and instead find yourself more frustrated with the things that you don't have. So if, if thankfulness is not a natural part of your life or even a focused part of your life, you could be being hard-hearted towards God. In fact, I would say you are being hard-hearted towards God. The Christian should live in thankfulness. 
There's so many Bible verses on it and it is the most freeing thing in the world. Have any of you guys ever actually just sat down and wrote down a list of what you're thankful for? You cannot leave that experience not with a fat smile on your face. Do you guys know what I'm saying? Thankfulness, in fact, that's actually, if, if anyone was like, like, what's one of the reasons that you believe in God? I'd be like, because of the power of thankfulness. I cannot believe how powerful thankfulness is and I can't think of any real evolutionary reason as to why it is that powerful. It can literally change someone's life just being thankful. You guys know when you meet someone that's like just super thankful for what they have and they're just so peaceful to be around because they're not like always, work sucks, so drained, so discontent. When's my break going to come? Everyone else getting married and I'm not getting married. Oh, freak. You know what I'm saying? Be thankful for what you have. That's a soft heart. Um, number eight, my last one, you know you're being hard-hearted when your mind defaults to blaming God when things go wrong rather than seeking Him to understand why or what's going on. Does that make sense? So, you know you're being hard-hearted when you, your mind defaults to blaming God when things go wrong rather than seeking Him to understand. The gentle heart never points the finger at God. The gentle heart seeks Him. God, this mayhem is happening. This chaos is happening to me in my heart right now. Help me. Teach me. Show me. Instruct me. It doesn't go, I can't believe you let that happen to me. See, that's so tied into the, the, the not being thankful kind of attitude as well. It's so similar because it's, it's hard-heartedness. Oh, 100%. Yes, absolutely. Not taking responsibility for your stuff. Absolutely. It's, it's, yeah, it's the same thing. Or even potentially blaming yourself as well. It can be a form of hard-heartedness. It's anger towards yourself. It's very common, actually. Um, yeah, so you guys get it? What hard-heartedness looks like or can, can look like? Question. Absolutely. Yes, of course Would you can. you say, kind of in those eight points that you yeah. just said, difference between you're actually hard-hearted and you need to like go check your heart with God the difference between that and just like a healthy discernment of like oh like this thing that this person's just mm. decided to do like that doesn't sit right with mm. me that's not I don't think that's good like um because I think yeah like that can be healthy sometimes to not just kind of take everything that everyone says and does as good or as truth yeah um would you say to tell whether or not like is my heart hard or am I just acknowledging that something just isn't right mm. is the difference that you like in how you view the person um like how would you say that you really know that because i feel like mm. so much of the time like i'll look at a certain situation and i'll just look at like a decision maybe someone makes and i'm like oh like <gasps> yeah and i'm like oh no but it's i don't know maybe it's like that I am hard-hearted towards mm-hmm. that person or towards that like situation. But yeah, how do you, do you know whether or not it's hard-heartedness purely just based on like, do I have love for this person or am I yeah, yeah. Like, being judgmental or making, I don't know, how do you yeah, yeah, distinguish a, between the two when it's like a healthy, just you kind of not taking everything as, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what I'm saying? I think so. It's a great question too. Um, I think you, there, there would be a certain peace that you would carry with one and not the other. Like the, yeah. the, the one where you are being hard-hearted towards them. I think there's a certain amount of bitterness involved and a judgment yeah, like involved. Frustration. frustration. Okay, yeah. yeah. Even yeah. if you wouldn't necessarily make that decision, mm. 
it doesn't necessarily mean that you are going to judge them for it. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like you, that's quite healthy. Yeah. Like you, it's very healthy to go, I wouldn't make the decision in my life. Yeah. That's a healthy thing to say. Does yeah. that make sense? But when you go, I can't believe they did that. And then you, you label them, you judge them yes. for that. And then you start to find as a bit of like bitterness in your heart towards them, arguments in your heart towards them, or just a bit of, you, you just kind of close yourself off to them yeah. a little bit, or you just, you, does that make sense? Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's when that isn't happening. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. You can kind of feel it in a yeah. sense. Like, yeah. does that make sense? Yeah. There's just a peace that comes with yeah. it. Which I think is just the presence of God because he's, he's drawn to that humble heart. Yeah. Because yeah. you're right. You're not going to want to accept everything from everyone. You shouldn't. That's, yeah. that's not a good idea. <laughs> so it doesn't mean you're being not soft-hearted when you exercise that wisdom. Okay. Did I, that sentence make sense? Yes. So it's yep. how you position your heart. I think so. Towards that person in that situation. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yep. Cool. Great question. <laughs> okay. Um, any more questions while we're here in question land? <laughs> cool. I'll keep moving. Um, so these states of your heart, the ones that I just read out, will keep you from the kingdom of God. The very essence of it is opposed to you when you're in that state, right? So you might live in a hard-hearted state, but you also might enter a hard-hearted state. Does it make sense? There's, there's a difference to it. You might live 40 years hard-hearted towards your parents because they raised you in this way and you wanted to be raised in this way, right? You could live in that state. You just are permanently hard-hearted. Or you could be a Christian living with a soft, gentle heart most of the time. Something happens to you and you respond with a hard heart. Now, in that area of your life, God cannot get in. Right? Think about it this way. Um, Jesus actually will explain this in the, in the parable we're going to read in a little bit. But if your heart is soft soil or is designed to be soft soil, and when God speaks, he plants the Jesus seed into your heart, right? So Jesus is the seed, can grow in you and be, become like him, right? If your heart goes from the soft soil to the hard rocky path, the seed just lands on it and can't go in. And that's when the bird swoops down and takes it away. And the bird is the enemy. Does that make sense? Because you're hard-hearted towards God in a certain area or whatever, you can't actually receive from Him. You might think you're hearing from Him. You're not. Because you can't. You can't receive His Word. See, receiving His Word is not just, I read the Bible today. Or like I listened to a sermon and I got something from it. That's not necessarily receiving the Word. Receiving the Word is a spiritual process. Jesus says, he literally says, my words are spirit and life. They're not just words. You're not just hearing audible sounds, processing the language and getting the concept. You are doing that, but that's in the physical. It goes deeper in the spiritual. It is a spiritual process. He actually does something to someone's heart. And, and no one can replicate it. No human can possibly replicate it. You might think, oh, if this person just does this, this and this, they can change their life. No, God needs to do that with his word. It's the most powerful thing in existence. You guys know what I'm saying? Um, Jesus. Yeah, so do you guys know that the devil is hard-hearted and twisted and bitter and cannot receive the Word of God? Does he understand the Word of God? Yep. Does he read the Word of God? Yep. Does he memorize the Word of God? Yep. Can he receive it? No. The Jesus seed cannot be planted into his heart. He is hard-hearted. He is twisted. He is bitter. He's angry at God. He's angry at himself. He's angry at people. Um, and you can behave just like that if you choose to. 
You have the decision to make. You can choose to behave like that if you like. You're allowed to copy Satan. It's your decision. You don't have to copy Jesus. <laughs> you can copy Satan if you want. I just wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> it's kind of a miserable life, I'd say. Um, <laughs> yeah, I reckon. <laughs> um, so th this, this process, this, it's, this, this activity is always a choice. Don't ever believe the lie that you just have to be hard-hearted right now, or I just can't forgive them right now, I just have to be angry at them right now. No, you don't. You never have to. It might seem like absolute Mount Everest to not be, like to actually forgive them. It's like an impossible challenge, but you actually can choose to be soft-hearted. It is a possibility. Don't believe the lie that you can't. And don't believe the lie that you were born to be angry or born to be frustrated or just predestined to be this way or whatever. That's so not true. You have the decision to make. Everyone can do it. Christians can do it. Non-Christians can do it. Everyone can. Everyone can always be humble. Otherwise, God would not ask you to. Make sense? Everyone can always be humble. Now, if you have your Bibles, flip them open to Matthew chapter 13. And thanks to my lovely assistant, Jazz. She's written up the main verse from Matthew 13 tonight. Thank you, Jazz. You're legend. Thank you, Jazz. Amazing handwriting. Um, Jesus. Cool. You guys know how Jesus uh, taught in parables? Matthew 13, by the way. 87% through your Bible. Um, Matthew 13. Do you guys, you guys know how Jesus taught in parables? I want to say two things quickly about parables. Do you guys know why he taught in parables? Anyone? No? Cool. Yes, and that's this passage as well. Um, there, I, I believe the reason that Jesus taught in parables, first of all, they're great stories, easy to engage with, everyone would have understood them. That's cool. But he actually hid the message of what he was trying to say within the parable and you couldn't understand it, probably, unless you went up to him afterwards and asked him to explain it, which is exactly what happens in this passage right here, the parable of the sower. Um, and the interesting thing, that's the first thing I want to say about parables. The second thing is, this parable is completely unique. Did you guys know that? This parable is one of a kind. There's no other parable like it. Because Jesus also tells this parable in Mark chapter 4. And when his disciples come up to him and say, can you explain it to us? Because we don't get what the heck you're talking about, seeds and stuff. Um, Jesus goes, you don't understand this parable? How the heck are you going to understand all parables then? So Jesus goes, if you don't get this parable, you can't get any parable. This is the parable that you need to get to understand every other parable. Does that make sense? How cool is that? You get one, you get them all. <laughs> it's the kingdom. <laughs> all right. We're just going to read verse by verse and I'll do my best to explain it. Matthew 13, chapter 1, uh, sorry, verse 1, the parable of the sower. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. I've heard someone explain that Jesus, this is pretty cool, Jesus knew 
about sound and acoustics and how sound can travel and so he knew he could reach the crowd better by getting in a boat standing a little bit off the shore and then allowing that to carry his voice rather than standing how cool is that i reckon he did that too um that's just a, a cool fact for you um probably won't change your life but yeah whatever <laughs> um verse three then he told them many <laughs> then he told them many things in parables saying a farmer went out to sow his seed as he was scattering the seed some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up right that's soil number one no soil at all verse number five some fell so some seed fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow but when the sun came up the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root so that's soil number two verse seven other seed fell among the thorns which grew up and choked the plants still other seed that's soil number three and verse 8, still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. So, Jesus tells this cool little story about a farmer doing some work, chucking some seed, trying to get some fruit out of it. Uh, that's the reason that you put seed in the ground so it grows up and you get some fruit. Um, that's what the farmer is trying to do, get some fruit. So he throws it and, it and the seed lands on one of four places. There's the rocky path, no soil at all. There's the shallow soil, a little bit of soil, but doesn't go very deep. Um, then there's the soil that lives amongst the weeds and the thorns. And then there's the good rich soil. And obviously in agricultural terms, your crops are only going to grow on soil number four. You will not get the best result with the other ones, if any result at all. So, then he says at the end, this weird sentence, whoever has ears, let them hear. Verse number 10 is absolutely key. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? Now, did you notice, who did Jesus tell this parable to? The, crowd. the crowds. Who came up to him to ask him why he spoke in parables? Disciples. disciples. So picture this setting, right? Hundreds, potentially thousands of people crowding around because Jesus has this aura. Oh, it's Jesus. Let's go listen to Jesus. It's cool to go listen to Jesus. Everyone's listening to Jesus. All the crowds go down and listen. And he tells this story, gives no explanation as to what the heck it means. Guys, you probably wouldn't understand this if he didn't explain it. And he explains it later. Um, and the disciples go, what the heck was that story all about? Let's go ask him. Now, in... What's interesting is verse number 11. Jesus replied, the reason I speak in parables, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. So the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Who wants that? I want the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Tell me how the kingdom of heaven works. That's what the knowledge is, right? That's the secret. Um, it's been given to you, disciples, but it has not been given to them. Right? Um, whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Now, that sounds very unfair. You guys know the story of Robin Hood? What's, what's the point of Robin Hood? 
Take from the rich, give to the poor. Why did Robin Hood want to do that? Because it feels just fair. The rich shouldn't have everything. Share the, share the wealth around. Jesus goes, that is the opposite of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God does not work like that at all. The rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Did Jesus really say that? Yes, he did. Let's read it, <laughs> Let's read it again. Verse 12. Whoever has will be given more. What? Jesus, that's unfair. Give some to the guy who doesn't have any. And they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Jesus, that's not fair. The knowledge and good and evil, we need to make it fair, Jesus. Jesus goes, no, it's not how the kingdom works. If you learn the secrets of the kingdom of God, you will get 100-fold what you got sowed into you, potentially. 30, 60, or 100-fold. What does everyone else get? Um, zero. <laughs> zero. <laughs> it's, it's very, if you get it, you get it, and you get heaps, and more, and more, and increasing, and multiplying, and spreading across the earth. And if you don't get it, you get nothing. That's the kingdom of God. It is very specific. It is very narrow. It works one way. It does not work the other way. You cannot say, spread it, spread it out across the earth, God. Give some to some people. They have this talent, so I should get this talent. Just spread it out, make it nice and even and fair. And I like that. Jesus goes, that's not how it works. That's not the kingdom of God. And he's going to explain why. So if you think that's unfair, fair enough. Um, let, let's, let's hear what he says as to why that is the case. And also, you should be wondering, why do the disciples get the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but the crowd don't? That's a good question. Why do they get that? Because that sounds pretty key to growing in the kingdom of God, the secrets. Okay, verse number 13. This is why I speak in parables. And this is where he quotes Isaiah. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Verse 15, absolutely key. Because, 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 for this people's heart has become calloused. Why can't they see? Why can't they hear? Why can they go be part of the crowd, hear Jesus' amazing sermon and get nothing from it? Because their heart has become calloused, which makes their eyes unable to see, which makes their ears unable to hear, and they, then they cannot understand even though they hear it. Does that make sense? In, a, in, a, in the spirit, their heart is hard and the word has no place in their heart. Let's keep reading. Verse number 15 again. For, the, for this people's heart has become calloused, has become hard. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. That's an Isaiah prophecy. Jesus is saying, me, my parables, fulfills that prophecy. You guys get that? Verse number 16. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Now, there is going to be a difference of opinion on these verses. I'm going to share my one, obviously. Um, but this does, this parable, this whole thing, does come back a little bit to how you view the topic of the sovereignty of God. So if you do believe that everything that happens is God's will, 
then probably you would read this passage and go, some people get it because God chose them to get it, and some people don't get it because they don't have soft hearts because God did not choose them to get it. Okay? So I don't believe that, and I don't think that's right, and I don't think that's what this point of this parable is. I think the point of this parable is you get to choose what state of your heart is in. It does not mean that you get to choose um, salvation. It, uh, it does not mean that you get to save yourself. It does not mean that you get to put a new heart within you. It just means that you get to open yourself up to these things if you want to be open to them. Does that make sense? I believe the disciples were open to hearing these things. I believe when Jesus spoke, they were like, what? What does that mean? Oh my gosh. Whereas the crowd goes, that's cool. Uh, what's for lunch? Fish? Cool. Let's go get some fish. Do you guys know what I'm saying? They didn't really care. Their hearts were hard. They were turned away from it because they just didn't choose to receive it. They had that choice. So I believe out of the four soils that Jesus mentioned, you are able to choose which one you want to be. And I would highly recommend soil number four. <laughs> it's really the only good one out of the four. Um, <laughs> the point of this talk, choose to be the good, rich, healthy soil by keeping your hearts humble. That's my big idea. You guys need to choose, especially if you're in a trial, especially if you're in a trial, choose to be the good, rich, healthy soil by keeping your hearts humble. You guys get it? Cool. So if you're humble, you would go up to Jesus afterwards and say, God, can you teach me, uh, Jesus, can you tell me, what, what was that parable all about? That's what a humble heart would do. You want to learn. You want to know what he's trying to say. The crowd did not do that. They had that choice and they chose to not do that. Does that make sense? And Jesus goes to you, has been given the secret of the kingdom of heaven because you came up and asked me about the parable. You actually cared what it meant. These guys are going to think about it for half an hour and walk away. Why? Because they can't see, they can't hear, they can't understand because their hearts are hard. I think Jesus is trying to draw people with his parables. Come and ask me what you think, what it actually meant. I know you don't get it. That's why I hid it. I hid it to try and bait you. Come and ask me. Why don't you care? You should care. I know you didn't understand a single word I just said. <laughs> it's hidden. Come and ask me about it. Um, verse chapter 18. Uh, sorry. <laughs> verse chapter 18. What the frick? <laughs> verse number 18. Um, cool. Yeah. <laughs> verse number 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed. Uh, this is the seed sown along the path, soil number one. If you hear it but don't understand it, have no place in your heart for it, enemy comes and goes, I'll take that. All good. <laughs> but the reason it landed on the path is because your heart was hard. Do not have the good, rich, healthy soil heart. Because when the seed lands in that, you know what I'm saying? He cannot access it. It's all, it's all God's. Um, verse number 20. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time when trouble or persecution comes because of the word. They quickly fall away. That's soil number two. You have a little bit of um, 
soil in your heart, you're a little bit open to stuff, but because you have no foundation, because you have no root, you cannot stand the trial that will come to try and challenge the word that's growing in your heart. But, and you know why? The soil is just not deep enough. The soil is just not rich enough. You're on the, you're on the right track. You're getting there. Jesus says to one of the guys in, in the Gospels, you're very close to the kingdom of God. There's actually measures towards the kingdom of God. <coughs> he gives the right answer to the question that Jesus said. Jesus goes, you're close. You're on the right track. You're progressing. Your heart is softening. I can potentially put my seed in you. I can. It's getting there. You guys know what I'm saying? That's soil number two. Um, but yeah, so this often, often happens in the church. People, when there's a, a very amazing service, there's emotion to it. There's an attractiveness to it. It's easy. It's easier to say, yes, I'll become a Christian. I'll go up the front. I'll get baptized or whatever than to not because you're so in it. You want all the things that the Bible is promising. But because the, the soil of your heart's not rich enough, deep enough, craving it enough, the seed just can't get deep enough to establish true roots in your life. Does that make sense? So the second that persecution comes or uh, resistance comes against you, you fall away. That's not good. And I've seen it happen to people and it's devastating. Um, but you can come back. Just soften your heart and say, God, I want to come back. That's what I would do. Um, just, yep. <laughs> um, Verse number 22, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. That's soil number three. So you actually have the rich, you have the rich soil, but it's just surrounded by so many things of the world. You're suffocated by worries, anxieties, pressures. Um, and what does it say? The... Uh, deceitfulness of wealth you believe the lie about money making you happy that's actually a spiritual state that jesus is talking about you just believe that sorry my word cannot live in you and i can't produce the fruit i want to produce i want to produce a hundredfold in you i want to do that that's my desire it brings me glory and makes you happy right remember last week um jesus so yeah guys don't be that soil either um <laughs> So uh, verse number 23, the one that's also up here, bit different translation though. Verse number 23, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. 160 or 30 times what was sown. That's, that's the soil you want to be, guys. Cre create in your heart that soil. Be that soil. Choose to be that soil. Crave hearing the Word of God. Crave understanding. If you have a question and it's getting to you and you can't get past it, don't forget about it. Don't ignore it. Go to God and say, God, teach me it. That's what people with gentle hearts do. They crave the Word. They crave His life. They crave it being in Him and growing in Him. Be, be that soil. You know what I'm saying? When you open the Word, be like, man, Jesus, what did you mean by that? That's what the disciples did. And look what Jesus did. Taught them. Taught them exactly what it meant. Often you will open this book and you won't get it. That's the point. What does it mean that you have to do? You have to go to Him. He designed it that way. <laughs> 
He didn't design it so it's a self-help book that you just you cruise with by yourself and you get it all and you're all sweet. He goes, you can't read it without the Spirit. The Spirit of God awakens it to you. Anyone ever experienced that? When you've, you've read one passage and you go, ah, oh, yep, cool. Then the Spirit of God <laughs> awakens it and you go, oh my gosh, how did I not see this before? It's because it's a spiritual thing. This is a spiritual book. It has spiritual truth in it. It has physical words. You can read them. You can physically study the Bible. You can read it. You can understand exactly. You can understand the Greek, the Hebrew, the, 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 the I don't know, everything about it, right? <laughs> the, where it came from, who wrote it, at what time period, what the culture was, the political background of it all. You can study it to your heart's content and never know it. Why? Because it's a spiritual process. This is why you need to understand this parable before you can understand all parables. Do you guys get that now? If you're not that soil, you can't hear him. Doesn't matter if you, if you heard the parable, you can't hear the parable. You guys following? Mm. <laughs> Jesus. So every time that you read a parable in the Bible, and there's lots of them, especially around this section of Matthew, that he starts with that one, then he tells like a billion other ones after that. It's awesome. Um, <laughs> Think about that parable. Think, soften your heart. Crave what he's saying. Crave it. It can change your life. One word from God, straight spoken to your heart, can change your life. Instantly, forever. And then people say, what's different about you? What's, what's going on? What did God do? And you go, no idea. I'm just different. It's because you can't explain it because it's spiritual. You can't go step one, this, step two, this, step three, this, and now I'm awesome. You can't do that. It's God. He speaks to you. It's a living word. It li His word lives in you. And Jesus is the word. See how it all links up? He speaks Jesus into you. And Jesus grows in you because your heart's rich and deep and he produces a hundredfold in you. The original word he spoke. Ah, it's awesome. And this is, to bring it back to trials, this is how you get out of trials. This is what you need to do. You need to keep yourself humble, peaceful, gentle, patient. This is very similar to last week's talk. Keep yourself in the vine. Keep yourself in Him. Stay humble. Don't get hard-hearted. It's a killer. You won't even see it coming either. It's deceitful. The only thing that you can see coming is what God has described here. The deceitfulness of sin, all that sort of stuff, right? Um, I was going to quickly flip to another part of the Gospels. Um, Luke chapter 10. I think this is so awesome. I think about this chapter all the time. Okay. Check this out, yeah? It's weird, but check it out. Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After this, the Lord, that's Jesus, appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lamb, lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. So Jesus just calls to him, himself 72 disciples, more than his 12, and he's saying, go out. Go and spread the good news, right? So verse 5, this is where it gets weird. When you enter a house, first say... <laughs> Peace to this house. 
Every time you go into someone's house, guys, say peace to this house. You guys seen that, um, what's it called, um, on Netflix, the Marie Kondo, what's it called? The Japanese lady. Yeah. Cleaning with Marie, is that yeah. what it's called? So she's so awesome, hey. Um, she's like so humble, I love her. She, when she goes into her house, she's like a, if you guys haven't seen it, she's like a awesome Japanese lady who loves mess because she loves to clean up mess and just make houses look awesome. Um, and she's just the most gentle, peaceful lady I've ever seen in my life. Anyway, she says when she goes into a house, even when it's like absolute trash, like some of these houses are just horrific, she goes, I need to greet, and then spend time greeting the house. She actually talks to the house like it's a person, like it's a thing. She, it's so, dude, it's so awesome. She bows before the house and she just, she just spends time greeting the house. It's so cute. Like, I just love it. <laughs> um, she says thank you. She's like, thank you yeah. for like, keeping these people warm. Yeah, yeah. And she like, thanks the house. <laughs> it's it's so, so awesome. It's sweet when you watch it. It sounds very wacky. Dude, seriously. <laughs> it's so awesome. And to be honest, she's just, she's just trying to follow Jesus, bro. When you, when you first enter the house, please say... I'm just uh, laughing because I do that every time I walk. No, you don't. <laughs> you wish you did. <laughs> so, verse number five again. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. <laughs> verse number six. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Yeah. How freaking cool is that? <laughs> if, if you go into a house and there are peaceful people in this house, you speak peace, it leaves you, it goes to them and it stays on them and in their house because they promote peace. Is that not just crazy? Like who does that? Do you know what I mean? Who thinks that way? But Jesus said, I want all you 72 guys, you go and do that. But sometimes the peace will come back to you because they don't like peace. They don't want peace. They don't practice peace. So I think what that means is that there are people in the world, Christian and non-Christian, this is not to do with like what all believer and unbeliever and stuff like that. If you like peace, you can receive peace from God spoken through someone. You just have an atmosphere for it. You have a heart for it. Your heart's ready to receive it. You've been promoting it. You've been wanting it your whole life. That's why when someone like is not a Christian for like 30, 40 years, they walk into a church for the first time and all of a sudden, boom, it hits them. And they get saved and they go, this is what I've been waiting for my whole life. And the reason is you promoted peace your whole life. You readied your heart your whole life. The centurion, right? Jesus goes, Jesus goes, Jesus marveled at his faith. Can you imagine Jesus being like, what the frick? That's what, he, that's what he, the Bible says. He marveled. He was like, oh, dang, you got some faith. Modern translation, obviously. Um, how did the centurion get such faith? How did he do that? How did he get the faith that even the disciples did not have? Well, he learned from his job what authority looked like. And then he applied it in a spiritual sense. And Jesus goes, oh my goodness, that's literally exactly it. And Jesus marveled going, oh my gosh, that's great faith. He only says that twice in all the Gospels, to the centurion and to the Syrophoenician woman, who when she asked Jesus, can you please heal my daughter? Jesus goes, no. <laughs> and she goes, just do it. And he goes, whoa, that's a shortened version of it. <laughs> um, I don't have time to go into it now. Um, yeah, um, 
I think the centurion was prepping his heart his whole life. He could have been one dodgy centurion that was like torturing people and taking advantage of his power and all this sort of stuff. And when he finally needed his um, servant to be healed and asked Jesus to come and heal his servant, he wouldn't have had that great faith. I think the centurion chose this without realizing he was actually choosing it. Without realizing he was learning a spiritual principle, a spiritual law. And Jesus says, when you learn these spiritual principles, you get more and more and more in abundance. It multiplies within you. I want to give you more and more and more and more and more and for it to never stop. That's God's pattern for your life. It's not happy season, dry season, happy season, dry season, dry season, dry season. Dry season. It's not that. You might, you might experience that, but that's God, God's heart for you is to bring increase upon increase upon increase. You guys know what I'm saying? It's, fun, it's funny. I was in Norway last year in um, one of my friends I went to school with um, and he, he now is he's really into um, vegetable gardening. And he told me about this gardening technique called Back to Eden Gardening. This is, you guys should totally watch this on YouTube. This guy is freaking cool. He, um, he's a Christian guy that wanted to plant a garden in his house in America. And the, the hose or the well or something like that couldn't actually reach where he wanted to plant his garden. So he decided to go for a walk in the forest. And he said, God, I really want a garden in my house, but I can't get watered there. And then God goes, how do you think this forest grows? Do you see anyone coming here and watering it with a hose? No, they don't. And so God started to break down. This is so freaking cool. God started to break down the system of how the forest sustains itself, holds and traps water within the soil, and there's a covering over the top of the soil with the leaves and the, twig, the twigs and the branches and all the things that fall onto the ground, covering the soil, protecting it from being eroded away, and the soil retains the water and then the trees can actually grow in that environment and all sort of stuff. And so God started to break it down to him. And, and then he goes, go and create this environment back in your garden. And his garden is thriving. Like people come from all around the country to see his garden. Like it's absolutely enormous and he doesn't do anything with it. He doesn't water it. He doesn't put insecticides on it. He doesn't, he doesn't have to uh, get weeds out because the whole system that God designed in nature actually takes care of all that by itself. Whereas man's knowledge of how to build a garden is strip everything out, get it all out and just get some dirt, throw some seeds in, then we've got to do heaps and heaps and heaps and heaps of work every day until we hopefully finally get a crop. This guy says he rakes the garden once a week and it just keeps on producing fruit, keeps on producing fruit. And the reason I told you that story is because the, the actual garden is designed so that so what actually happens is when the leaves fall off and, the, and um, the fruit falls to the ground, stuff like that, it erodes and becomes soil. And so everything in the inner forest breaks down and becomes soil. Now, what's the spiritual significance of that? Soil is where things grow, right? So the old season of your life, last season, fell off, broke down, and is now becoming soil for the new season, this next season to be increasing even more and even more. So every year he gets a greater re result. Every year. And every year he gets older, so he can't work the garden as much as he used to be able to. He can't plant new things and all whatever. And so he actually quotes this verse from Lamentations or something like that. He's really into the Bible. He's so awesome. Look it up. Seriously, YouTube it. Back to Eden Gardening. So freaking cool. I was blown away. I was blown away. Goes for like an hour or something like that. It's so awesome. It's super low budget though, so don't be expecting no like <laughs> Nat Geo documentary or anything like that. It's like $20 budget. Um, but uh, yeah, he, he, he quotes this verse where 
um, he, he talks about doing work in your youth so that you don't have to work as much when you're older because you put the work in when you're younger. It's a spiritual principle, right? Getting increased every year, every year, every year. Anyway, you guys get the point. Um, yeah, so cool, so cool. Um, how are we looking for time? Oh, all right, I'll try and speed this up. Um, okay, in, remember how I read out in John 15 last week that Jesus says, if you live in me and my word lives in you, you will produce fruit, right? You'll produce good fruit. Um, and you can ask for whatever you wish and I'll give it to you. That's what Jesus says, right? So now do you understand why his word can live in you? Because your heart is the soil that you that you can tend to. You can kind of tend to the garden of your own heart, if that makes sense. Um, but Jesus also says in John 8, 37, he's in argument with the, with the Pharisees and he says to them, my word finds no place in you. So just picture it for a second. Actually, I might draw this. This would be cool. So um, you remember this because I drew it. Heart, right? Uh, <laughs> I'm, too, I'm too used to drawing like stick figures and then drawing. <laughs> that's my excuse. All right. That's the heart, right? So Jesus is over here and then he speaks a word, right? So he's speaking to the Pharisees in this scenario, but their heart is so hard. Uh, yeah, the heart is so hard. The word comes in and goes, hmm, I can't find anywhere to live in this heart. This heart's way too hard. Where's the soil? Where's the good soil? Oh, I'm just going to leave. That makes sense. My word finds no place in you. But the disciples that he spoke to, he goes, "If you if you abide in me, so if you live in me, and my word lives in you, then you can ask for whatever you wish, and I'll give it to you. You'll produce good fruit. You remain in the vine. Makes sense. You remember that because I drew it. Um, Jesus King. Okay, uh, let's wrap this thing up. Um, here's a couple of Bible verses for you guys. Um, James 4.10 Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. It's actually not a bad thing to want to be exalted. <laughs> Jesus wants to be exalted. Is He selfish? Is He arrogant? No. Um, just humble yourself. The, the way you do it in the kingdom is you humble yourself first and then God exalts you. Right? Um, Numbers 12.3 Now Moses was very humble, more humble than any other person on earth. Who did the most miraculous signs in all the Old Testament? Moses. The most humble person on earth did the most miraculous, had the most crazy life I've ever heard of, really. <laughs> saw God. Met with God face to face. His face was glowing when he saw him. That is so cool. I want to have a fa glowing face. <laughs> um, it's pretty cool. Matthew 5, 5, read this out before. God blesses those who are humble for they will inherit the whole earth. He wrote the word whole earth, whole earth, just in case you didn't believe him. Um, Matthew 18, 4. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. It's not bad to be great, but the way you do that is by humbling yourself. It's the opposite. <laughs> it's the opposite to the world. Um, Matthew 23, 12. But those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And Philippians 2, 2 3. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble thinking of others as better than yourselves. Um, actually, last one. Matthew eleven twenty nine. I send this verse to certain people who are in a hard time. 
take my yoke upon you, let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. This is Jesus speaking. I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. How nice is that? Jesus, he's just asking you to be like him, humble and gentle at heart where you find rest for your soul. That's who Jesus is. So awesome. Um, so I'm just going to finish because I know people that listen to this are in trials. They're in serious, serious trials. Um, when I found myself in a trial, I was very tempted, very, very tempted to blame someone, blame myself, to blame God. I, I was very, very tempted to get frustrated or unrighteously angry. I was very tempted to fall into a state of despair and hopelessness. I was very tempted to stop, stop believing in God. So tempted, guys. I was so tempted to do that. Very tempted to justify sin because, because not feeling happy or content with my life. Do you know what I'm saying? The, the, these are the traps. These are the keys. The, these are the things that the enemy will throw at you when you're in a hard time. But don't choose that route. It hurts you. It doesn't fix the issue. Um, it makes it worse. And you walk away from God. The trial might end. You might feel better. But you're not better because you don't have Him. And He's got life, you know? Um... Even though the flesh craves this kind of behavior for whatever reason, sometimes you just need to know that it won't help you. It'll do the opposite. So you just need to be patient and soft with a humble heart. That is the perfect environment for the Spirit of God to come and do His work in your life. The soft, humble heart. is You've just created the most perfect landing strip for the Holy Spirit to just come and land in your life and just do what He needs to do. You did that. You chose to be soft and humble in heart. Um, yeah, Jesus. That, that might mean the difference between you getting out of this trial being now closer to God. That's how I felt after this trial, after the trial I went through. Or you getting out of it no longer even following Him. The choice that you make about the decision, uh, sorry, the choice that you make about your heart, that could, be, that could be the difference. The state of your heart that you carry. I'm just going to finish on this story. Um, did I ever tell you guys a story about Jacqueline? No, I didn't, did I? <laughs> um, so Jacqueline, she was an only child um, and she lived with her mom, just her and her mom until she was nine. And, when, and then at nine, her mom remarried and married an, a guy named Darren. Darren, Darren became her stepdad. Um, Darren was kind at first to her mom and to her. Um, but as things started to settle back into normal life, he began to drink and he became, began to get very abusive. I'm sure you guys have heard many stories like this. Um, it's all too common, unfortunately. Um, he abused Jacqueline's mom verbally and physically and this terrified Jacqueline. Um, after a few years, it only got worse and never better. He began to abuse Jacqueline as well. She tried to run, she tried to hide, she tried to drink and smoke or anything that she could do to, to escape the pain. But slowly, a picture started to form in her mind that it wasn't just that Darren was a bad man and it wasn't just that stepdads were bad, but that all men were bad. Um, she started to close herself off to any male in her life and judging them instantly and especially before she got to know them. She always assumed they had hidden motives and were going to take advantage of her. They didn't actually care about her, they just wanted what she, what the, she could do for them. Uh, do, sorry, what she could do for that person. Um, at least that's what she thought. Now, it's understandable that she thought this way, 
because that's essentially what Darren, her stepdad, tormented her into believing. You guys can, you can empathize with this story, right? I get why you think that way. I can understand it. Um, until Jeremy came along. <laughs> um, he, Jeremy tried to be nice to her, but she would continually push him away out of fear because she created this habit. Um, men equals bad. But the more she pushed, the more he would gently work towards her and try to be comforting and supportive to her. Eventually, she broke down with emotion and accepted him into her life. She realized she shouldn't have judged him because he was a man. Um, her hard heart was pushing potential Jeremy's away her whole life. Um, yeah. So, the moral of the story is, you can empathize with Jacqueline's story. You can feel it. It's brutal. And in a worldly sense, you would probably feel if you were in that scenario, you knew someone in that scenario, you'd probably feel pretty justified having a hard bit of heart towards men or at least towards your stepdad or at least towards what happened. You'd probably be able to justify that. But look what happened. Jacqueline hardened herself off in complete logic. I get it. Everyone gets it. But was it the best thing for her? Actually, no. Because you could see when Jeremy starts coming in, being nice and loving to her, what does she do? Pushes him away. Doesn't want it because she's judged that person or those type of people or that gender or whatever as bad as you want to hurt me. Does that make sense? We can do the exact same thing to God in trials. We can draw conclusions. God equals bad because I believe God because I prayed because I tried this because I went to this church and this person prophesied over me but it didn't happen. There's logic to that. I get why you're upset. It makes sense. It's just not right. Does that, you guys get that? It makes log perfect logical sense why you'd have a hard heart. And if you went out and chatted with someone, they'd probably agree with you. <laughs> you can find many, many people to agree with having a hard heart. It still doesn't mean it's right. It still doesn't mean it's the best situation for you. It still doesn't mean you're going to get out of a trial. Like God, God's heart is to work with you through trials, right? But you yourself, by having a hard heart, are stopping him from wanting to do that. Sorry, not from wanting to do that, from being able to do that. God does not force himself on anyone. He's opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves. Humble. Learn. Practice humility. Practice humility. Um, don't never justify a hard heart. Um, learn to deal with your pain and receive the love of God that he wants to pour into your heart through the Holy Spirit. That's Romans 5. God would like to pour, not just like tip a little bit in, pour the love of God into your heart through the Holy Spirit. God would like to do that. Um, which heals you, which brings you joy, which brings you contentment, which brings you praise, which sets you free. Love of God's amazing. Um, but hard hearts are kind of like people that are sick that will continue to push away an antidote. You guys, do you know what I'm saying? That's a, that's a silly hard heart. <laughs> You're sick, but the cue is right there, but you don't want to take it because you'd like being hard-hearted. You like being angry at God. There's something satisfying to you about that, but it's dumb. It's keeping you from Him. Do you guys know what I'm saying? Do you feel that? Um, humble yourself, however uncomfortable it makes you, because it will probably make you uncomfortable. 
because en the enemy knows how powerful it is when someone humbles their heart before God. Learn the humble ways of the kingdom of God. It is peaceful and gentle and very healing. It can bring you out of a seriously dark place. The kingdom of God likes doing that. It's kind of what it's there for. You will experience spiritual healing if you humble your heart. If you're, if you're spiritually lost right now, if you're in a crap season, if you have no idea what God, God's doing in your life, da, 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 all that sort of stuff, you will experience spiritual healing by keeping yourself humble. So don't judge yourself for being in a trial. Keep yourself connected to Jesus. Stay in the vine and keep your heart humble. Gentle-heartedness. Learn to practice this, even if it's very difficult right now. I can understand why it's difficult. Sometimes it's much easier just to give into the flesh and let the flesh just rule your life. But it doesn't serve you. Because then you end up sowing the seeds of death and then you get a harvest of death and you go, I don't want death. I want fruit. <laughs> well, then you've got to sow the seeds of the kingdom. Or at least you've got to receive the ones God's trying to sow into your life. You guys know what I'm saying? Humble yourself before God. <laughs> you guys get it? Make yourself the good, rich soil and you will be set free you will be walked gently through your trial and it will produce 100 fold in you if you want that i reckon you can choose the fold as well if you want 30 fold yeah go for that if you want the 60 fold that's available too if you want the 100 fold that's probably the best <laughs> go for the 100 fold see the increase you guys know what i'm saying peace any questions? Pretty simple message. Yeah. It's great. That's good. Jesus King. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Thanks, guys. All right. We'll leave it there if no one's got questions. Peace.